The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to From the Pulpit on the Restoration Radio Network. This weekly show will be a presentation of the most informative sermons, conferences, and lectures from Catholic clergy on critical topics for Roman Catholics to find their way and to hold their faith during this horrendous crisis, the reality and growth of the modernist heresy which surrounds and threatens to engulf faithful Catholics. We encourage our listeners to visit truerestoration.org with articles, books, and videos available for purchase and direct download. And while a portion of the operating costs of the radio network are underwritten by True Restoration, our shows are truly listener-supported. We have annual radio subscriptions for the subscriber of every level, available by clicking the Donate button at TrueRestoration.org. Restoration radio programs, including this one, are available on blogtalkradio.com slash restorationradio and are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. You can follow the work of True Restoration on all social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Flickr, LinkedIn, and Pinterest, by following us using the social buttons on truerestoration.org. Tonight, we welcome to From the Pulpit, Father Stephen McKenna. Father will speak tonight on maintaining confidence in God. In the spiritual and corporeal battle that we Catholics must engage in on a daily basis, not to mention the fight for tradition, we can get war-weary and battle-tired. It can feel at times as if the whole world is against us and we are losing the fight in our daily lives, amongst our families, friends, enemies, and society. It is supremely important that we never lose the confidence in our Lord in everything that we do. And Father is going to tell us exactly how not to lose that confidence. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When reading the gospel today and seeing that trust that our Lord asks of us, of him, it reminded me of a really wonderful story about a woman that I once knew uh, several years ago. Um, She was, long before I had met her, she had started becoming ill and had gone to the hospital. And the doctor there had done a bunch of tests on her and everything, and had diagnosed her with congestive heart failure. And with that, prescribed her you know, several prescription medications, told her to take them, and, and, and sent her on her way. And so she did. She was very faithful to taking those medications. What she was more faithful to all her life was devotion to the church, She was always a staunch supporter and defender of the true 
Mass the Holy, of the Holy Catholic Church. She followed it no matter where it w- was. If that meant when she was uh, earlier on after the changes came, moving from, from San Diego all the way up to, to Spokane, Washington, where she could attend the Mass, then she did that. If it meant going through many sacrifices to make sure that her kids were all raised with the proper faith, she did that. If it meant <clears throat> that when she was able to, moving closer to the church, she did. Her and her husband, in fact, moved to the house right next door to the church itself, so all they had to do was walk across the alleyway, and that way, very easily, no matter what the weather was, be able to attend daily Mass, to be able to go and make frequent visits to the Blessed Sacrament. And her rosary and her scapula were always faithful with, faithfully with her. She was completely devoted to all of these things. And one day, you know, I had gotten to know her a little while, and, and all of a sudden she started to really decline in health. It had been several years since she was diagnosed and so she, as she declined, she eventually ended up going back to the hospital. And when she got there, they ran more tests upon her, and they came back with terrible, terrible news. That they had done the tests, and that they found that she never had congestive heart failure all these years. There was a mistake that was made. And the bad part of it was, is that those medications that she had been taking all that time had completely destroyed her liver and soon she would die. There's nothing that they could do about it. But all the while, through all of this, never once did she get angry or upset with the doctors. Never once did she blame them for what happened to her. In fact, when the word came down to her, she was totally resigned to that fact and had no ill will at all. She said that, you know, I'm sure that the doctors tried their best. I don't think that they would mean to cause me this harm. They're human beings. They simply make mistakes sometimes. And it's God's will that I'm sick and going to die now. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. And with that, because of her devotion to the church and her devotion and trusting in God, she died one of the most edifying deaths that I've ever seen. She was strengthened by all of the last rites of the church. Her family was all around her praying the rosary as she passed away. She died on the first day of the month of May, which we all know is devoted to Our Lady, who she herself had given herself over in total consecration many years before. And she died on what was the first Saturday of that month. It was a beautiful, beautiful death. And it all can be attested to her total trust and devotion to God, especially through Our Lady. It embodies that very confidence in which we all have to have in God. No matter what, He is always totally in control of everything that goes on around us. Nothing that happens ever sneaks by Him. There's nothing that happens that He does not allow to happen. 
And it's always with that same outlook in mind. His main goal, his sole focus, is on us saving our souls. Doing whatever is best for us in the spiritual life. That's what is most important to God. Eternity. Our eternal salvation. But the world, on the other hand, looks at the evils of these trials that we go through. They see things all around us and they look at them as the worst things that could possibly come our way. Hardships and diseases, poverty, hunger, cancer, global warming, whatever the new trend of great evils that is before us in the media today is looked at as we have to end it no matter what. Any kind of uncomfortableness, any kind of suffering is automatically bad. But that couldn't be further from the truth. What everybody fails to see is that the only true great evil in the world is, in fact, sin and spiritual death. That's the only thing that God cares about as a true evil. And even if it means that we have to go through hardships and trials... If it strengthens us in our spirit, if it strengthens us against sin, if it grows us closer to God and to trust in Him and rely on Him more, then God is willing to let us go through those things if it's for the good of our soul. Our good for our soul is not always what we have in mind as good. Oftentimes, people will pray for a certain intention And then, when it's not given to them in the way that they envisioned, they say things like, God didn't hear their prayer. God has abandoned them. He's forsaken them. And, you know, they they go on and on about how much they're in such dire straits in that regard, that they've been left all alone. But God, of course, would never, ever do so. He's promised us He wouldn't. He told us He'd be with us all days. He's not a liar. He, if anybody, is always going to be true to their word. If there's a defect in our prayer, it's not His. It's our own. Perhaps it's simply with our intention itself. Either it's bad, or it's not what's for the good of our soul. Or maybe we haven't persevered long enough, or tried hard enough in our prayers. Or, very well, as is often the case, we don't trust Him enough. We pray, but with that mindset of, well, I don't know if He's going to do this. I don't know if He can do this for me. Well, that's not a very good spirit to have in our prayer. You know, it's, the more we put into trusting Him, the more He's going to want to give back to us in return because that trust shows our love and devotion to Him. That trust is what the apostles in the Gospel today suffered a little bit from. They didn't have that full understanding yet of who our Lord was. They didn't have those gifts of the Holy Ghost yet and they were, you know, indeed weak men at that time. And so when the storm was raging and our Lord was sleeping, 
They didn't trust him enough. They didn't have confidence in him. And so they woke him up and asked him to do something about it. And he did. But St. Therese shows us a different way that, to approach that. She, oftentimes, as all of us will, and especially all of the saints did, would have periods of time where it, we would call it like a dark period of, 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 of spiritual comforts. They were devoid from her at times, and she would never ever despair in this regard. She would never you know, think that God abandoned her. No, she had more of a trusting look upon it and a true love of those times. She would say that our Lord was sleeping, just like he was on that boat. He was sleeping, worn out perhaps by all the, the, the intentions and prayers of so many people. And that she loved him so much that she was going to let him sleep. She figured that because our Lord was sleeping, it meant that he was comfortable with her. It meant that he, in return, loved her. And he, she likened it to that of being very close friends. Think about it. If we, have, if we were to host, like I say, a dinner party at our house, and we were to have people come in as guests that were more, not necessarily strangers, but people that we didn't have a really close relationship with, what are we going to do? We're going to do everything we can to try to entertain them and try to keep them occupied and, and allow them to have a good time by keeping them busy. But if a really close friend, our best friend, comes and visits us and eats with us and then decides he's going to sit down on our couch and perhaps close his eyes and take a little nap, we're in no way offended by that. In fact, we're happy that they're so comfortable in our own home that they could fall asleep. St. Therese said that's the way she felt with our Lord. He, she, he was so comfortable with her that he could fall asleep. And with that, she let him sleep. She figured so few would. She knew in time he would awaken and he would be there for her always. And she knew as well that by being abandoned completely to, her, to his holy will, that he would never let anything go astray, never, never let anything bad happen to her, even though it seemed at times that there was no answer coming from prayers that she might offer. She knew he was always in control. He was like a good father who was there, Sleeping, yes, but at the first sound, the first sign of danger would awaken and protect his family. Our Lord was like that even when he was sleeping with St. Therese. No matter what, if something was a danger to her soul, he would give her the graces. He would rise himself up and protect her and help her. But this required her trust that she wouldn't go wake him every two minutes, asking him for more and more. Instead, she had to rely on his promise to her. And in fact, she trusted so much that it didn't matter what kind of hardships would come her way. It never swayed her either way. She oftentimes quoted Job and said <clears throat> that um, no matter 
even if he were to slay her, she would still trust him. Because it was ultimately what was good for her soul. And this is where we all have to be. God wants us in heaven. He's going to do everything He can to help us get there. He wants us to save our souls. And He is the only guide that we can follow to heaven. The road that we may go down sometimes may seem to have many bumps along the way, many hardships or trials that may come to us, but that's okay. If we let God lead us, He's the only one that knows that road. He's the only one that knows how to actually get to its end. And that end which is salvation in heaven itself. There are going to be times where He is quiet. There are going to be times where that, those bumps in the road are going to be hard on us. And sometimes, like St. Therese says, it's going to appear that He sleeps. But one thing he will never do, he'll never abandon us. And it's in that that we always have to have confidence. May God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We hope you are enjoying tonight's episode of From the Pulpit. Be sure to visit truerestorationmedia.com to view our available streaming videos for purchase and direct download. These purchases will help us continue to bring you the best content and show guests in the Catholic world today. And now we present the continuation of tonight's program. For whosoever are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. In the world of science, there is not a bit much of a bigger name than Louis Pasteur. And I was thinking recently, especially after a conversation that I had with a parishioner up in Milwaukee, of, of him in particular, because that while possibly the biggest or one of the biggest names in scientific discovery, he was also a great defender of the Catholic faith. And it reminded me of a story about Saint, uh, of, yeah, of, Saint, of Louis Pasteur that one day he was traveling on a train and he was there and this young man came, came onto the train and he sat down across from what to him just appeared to be an old man. And this young man had just finished his studies in, uh, in the sciences and had just received his doctorate degree 
in, in those physical sciences. And so he sat down, and the old man across from him was dozing off to sleep. And as he fell into sleep, all of a sudden, from his hand, dropped a set of rosary beads to the floor. And the young man bent over, picked them up, and handed them back to this, uh, this older gentleman. And after seeing them, as young men often will, he very foolishly spoke as if he was a leading, a leading uh, source of knowledge in the area of science to this man and said how he was so surprised that in this day and age, with all the scientific discoveries that have been made, that anybody would continue to believe in God and to pray to such a God. And he went on and on uh, with these supposed developments of science that seemed to point away from God and, and, and towards just simple, uh, natural discoveries. And he went on with the old man, and the old man just sat there and nodded, and, oh, wow, interesting, interesting. And that's all he really said throughout the entire time. And finally, at the, when they reached the old man's stop, he stood up, and the young man said, well, if you found this interesting, I can send you some books that will you know, continue to help you in that area. And the old man looked at him and smiled kind of wryly and just handed him his business card. He said, sure, you can send them to me at this address. And the young man looked at the card, and on it it said, Louis Pasteur, Director of Scientific Research, Paris, France. And the young man's jaw hit the floor. The one whose books he had just been studying and discoveries he had just gone through was this same old man who was sitting before him praying the rosary. On another, on another situation, Louis Pasteur was in a, in a room filled with colleagues at a conference. And they were going on and on about different topics. And one other younger scientist started talking about how with all the discoveries it's only a fool who would continue to believe in God and the more that he studied science and did research the more he was absolutely certain God didn't exist and Louis Pasteur stood up without any kind of hesitation without any kind of loss of temper or anything like that or frustration in his voice but with full confidence stood there and said that's interesting young man because I have been studying this for a long time. And the more I study the sciences, the more I am certain that a God exists. And the more that I look through a microscope, the more I marvel at how much he does, even in the smallest detail with the smallest of organisms. And the more I study and the more I research, the more often I find myself praying while I work in my laboratory. The reason why I bring these things up is that this great scientist was a staunch defender in the faith and defended it with absolute confidence. And it's that same confidence which we all must have when we have to stand up for the faith. There will be many times in our lives that we will have to stand before a person who is a non-believer and who is standing before us accusatory and trying to disprove the existence of God or disprove our own faith in the church. 
and they'll stand before us and, and point the finger at us. Yet it's our duty as Catholics to defend. And so often in those times, we stand there and we feel as if we are fighting from a downhill position. That we have such an uphill battle that this is such a struggle for us. That we don't know the words to say all the time. That we feel that we have to, to the 19th degree, prove every single point and prove by giving some sort of physical appearance of God before them that he actually exists. And the, the reality of it all is we should never feel like we are defending the faith from an inferior position. We have the superior position all the time in that regard. We have God on our side. We have the truth on our side all the time. And as Catholics, we are the only ones who can actually truly say that. Because we have the faith given to us by Christ himself. No other church can claim that. That their faith comes directly from God, except for us. No other church can say that they truly cannot hide or cannot hide from science or will not hide from logic. But we can because everything that we believe falls in line with all of those positions because it is true. Because it is from God who is all truth. And as confirmed Catholics... God promises us if we live a life of grace, he will assist us by that very grace given to us from the Holy Ghost. He will assist us in our defense if we are prayerful, if we study our faith, and if we trust in him in that regard. He will, he will protect us and he will guide us. We will come across many people who are there for no other reason than to attack the faith themselves. And yet, we feel like they're winning. It shouldn't be. Atheists will try to poke holes in any kind of proof that we give them. I remember when I was in college, oftentimes I would be questioned about the faith, and I'd give answers, especially in science classes, I'd give answers, and then whether it be the professors or the students themselves, they would come back and say, something along the lines of it's just very convenient for you to plug God into this argument. Anytime there's a gap in any kind of reasoning you insert God and that's your answer. The God of the gaps is your theory in this. And to any normal person we would instantly feel like how do I disprove the God of the gaps theory proposed by these non-believers. Well, I shouldn't feel that way. I have to fight against that and trust in my own beliefs and my own faith and what I know to be true and the assistance of God. Because I've told you things, if speaking to an atheist, I've told him things that are completely in line with logic, that are completely in line with science, and that show that God truly exists and he is the creator of this world, the creator of the entire universe, creator of every bit of life that we see. 
He's the one that truly did all this. And it is an answer, and it is a solution to all of these problems. I have an answer, yet you attack me for my very answer. Yet in the end of the day, if you take away God, what are you left with? Just the gaps. Because you don't have an answer to fill that in. The superior position, having truth on our side. And even amongst believers themselves, they too will feel the need to strike out against us. Anytime that the truth is held, there's always those who want to strike against it because it goes against what their own little world tells them. And now more than ever probably, people do not agree with us who are truthful and adhere to all the beliefs of the Catholic Church like we do here. They will call us heretics or they'll call us especially those that are in the Novus Ordo Church. They'll call us heretical. They'll say, you don't believe in the Pope. Well, once again, here comes that feeling back. Uh Uh-oh, I feel like I'm downhill again. No. First thing, they need to check their definitions of words. You claim I'm a heretic. A heretic is someone who denies a truth of the Catholic Church. Challenge them. Point out one truth of the Church that I don't believe in. Point out one area of the faith which I do not adhere to. You've all studied your catechism. You've all grown up with some of the faith instilled into you. And you know enough about the Catholic Church to know that the reason why you're here is because you care enough about that faith and that you are unrelenting in sticking to every piece of faith and truth that Christ himself gave us. You know that. You have it there in your heart. You believe it 100%. That's why you're here. So say, what do I deny? And if you want to talk about heretics, then you need not look any further than the man who's claiming that position in Rome himself. He stands up there before you And he claims that the multiplication of loaves and fishes never happened. That that miracle never occurred. It was simply the words of Christ brought out the charity in those around who were hiding food and now they're going to bring it forth and share with the others around them. He's just denied the scriptures, the word of God itself. Denied a miracle listed out by Christ and given to his church. It's a heresy. He stands there and says that even the atheists, as long as they do some good things, will be redeemed. Despite the fact that they will deny the faith until their very last breath, they will be saved by the God that they did not believe in. That's a heresy. He stands there and promotes collegiality, that he's not really the supreme head of the church, that instead he's just one of a number of bishops and that he's just part of that larger brotherhood of people holding the episcopacy. That too is condemned. And it goes on and on with all these easy examples to prove of him not being a Catholic at all. So you want to call one of us a heretic 
Who's it going to be? Certainly not I. And then you have those, especially those, who adhere to most of the traditions of the church, but would label themselves as, say, maybe uh, recognize and resist type of mentality. And they want to call you a schismatic because you're not following the Pope. Well, once again, check your definition. A schismatic is one who recognizes someone in a lawful position but does not follow and obey him in the matters that he has to. He split away from that lawful authority. Well, I, seeing that Francis is a heretic, I can't accept him to be the Pope. I don't deny the papacy. I don't deny the power that it has as a position. In fact, just the opposite. We're here because we love the papacy so much. We love that office of the Vicar of Christ, which he himself set up and appointed St. Peter to be in that position, the head of the entire Catholic Church, the representative of God on earth, which through the council, uh, the, first, the Vatican Council stated infallibly that he was infallible in areas of faith and morals. I love the papacy so much that I can't allow someone who spits on the faith to claim to be the head of that same faith. It's impossible. St. Robert Bellarmine tells us that even if privately he were to adhere to heresy and manifest it and not give in to rebuke his own heresy, he would instantly, without any declaration, fall from his office, no matter what position he's holding, even if it be the papacy itself. He would cease to be. Like, I could not be the head of the NRA if I didn't believe in private ownership of guns. It's that simple of a thought. Yet they want to call us schismatics because of that. But in reality, those who adhere to that recognize and resist position, what is that if not schism by definition? You say that he is the Pope of Rome, he is the Vicar of Christ on earth, infallible in faith and morals, and yet you refuse to obey. You refuse to fall in line with the Novus Ordo Church. You refuse to go along with all the things that he preaches and talks about. And you refuse to submit to that lawful authority, the Vicar of Christ, supposedly. That's schismatic, that mentality not saying that everybody there is in ill will or you know doing it through because they're bad people but that position truly is wrong so when we go into the world and meet people whether at work or at school or uh, you know just at the store or family members whoever it may be and we hear them say things attacking us for our beliefs don't let it disturb your peace. Don't let it disturb your soul and your heart. You know, you believe. You are the true believers, the true followers of Christ. You love your faith. And with that knowledge that you have truth 
completely on your side, you should never fear in, in getting in any conversation with anybody. You should never feel like you're going to be trapped into a corner without any kind of way out or any explanation that will suffice. Because if they say things to you, then you have the truth on your side. You have the answers with you. And you have full confidence knowing that God would not lead, leave us to flounder on our own. That if for, perhaps that you might not know the answer right then and there, you can simply say, I will get back to you and I will find you the answer because it, I know that it exists. I know I have full confidence in the truth of my faith that I'm not afraid to talk about these things and I'm not going to allow you to change my mind but I'll get back to you with an answer and if they're there and they have simply no will to change at all but are simply there to cast stones and to, uh, and to call names and try to disturb your own peace in your faith then you should feel no obligation to try to spend day upon day beating them over the head. You have the truth, you've presented it to them, you've given it to them in all charity and love for their souls, and now it's up to them to take it or to leave it. And then you walk and pray. Pray for that person at that point, and you've done your duty. And you can go, and you can rest your head at night knowing that you continue to work for souls, you continue to work for God, and you continue to work for truth without any shame, without any worries, or any disturbance. And that you're doing that act of a little apostle that we're all called to be. You're doing your part to increase the greater glory of God in heaven and to increase his reign here on earth. Trust in all of that. Trust in your prayers first and foremost. And trust in your own faith, which was given to you by God, the source of all truth, truth itself. And may God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed, but more importantly, found informative and beneficial this week's presentation of From the Pulpit. For more information on the ministry of Father McKenna, you may write to him at the following. Reverend Father Stephen McKenna, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-M-C-K-E-N-N-A, 4900 Rialto Road, that's R-I-A-L-T-O, Westchester, Ohio, 45069. We will be on air one week from today and will present the final episode of From the Pulpit for this season of Restoration Radio. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be of value to you and your Catholic faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or via email at mail at truerestoration.org. Until next time, keep the faith. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.